0: Hey everyone, Brian here. We've got something a bit different for you this week with Chris Away Travelling. I lined up an interview with MacroBioBoy. It was a fantastic interview. I enjoyed it a lot. It's a little bit different to our usual content. We do start out discussing Diablo pretty heavily, as you can imagine, with my love of the game. If you get a bit tired of that content, Perhaps you want to skip ahead to about 34 minutes in, where we get to a bit more general banter, but I think it's worth a listen just to get some insights into what it looks like to run your own Twitch channel, to try and get insights from your audience, and have a playthrough of that. I will also apologize for the lower sound quality than we usually have. Unfortunately, we were recording through a certain web platform, and that tended to compress the sound quite a bit more than how we normally record. So have a listen. Enjoy, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Fixers, we've got a really special treat for you this week. With Chris away traveling, I've had to do my best to find a fill-in slot, and I could not have possibly done better this week by reaching out to the Diablo 2 community with Macro Bio Boy joining me. We've mentioned him previously on the podcast with some of the really interesting work he's been doing in Project Diablo 2, in being a forerunner on the Pacifist Paladin speedrun, which I've been desperate to talk about, but just never have been able to. Yeah, he's got a great background in what it actually looks like to be a streamer. He's been really ramping up his stream over the last 18 months. He started streaming around two years ago, started out in speedrunning, has kind of progressed to more general content, and has recently signed on with a bigger team at maxroll.gg, which we'll get into into the interview here. But first of all, just want to welcome you to the podcast, Mac.
1: Uh, Thank you so much. And honestly, that's a pleasure. You're doing me far too much justice. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's honestly my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite.
0: No problem. So normally... The content that we go through in this podcast for the listeners. We won't be doing any of the kind of feedback stuff. We won't be doing any of the deep dives on articles. I get to do this exactly my way this week. There's no Chris holding me back. So strap yourself in. We're going to be doing all D2 all the time. Maybe we'll talk a bit more generally around uh, what streaming looks like as well. But first of all, I just wanted to get a bit of your background for the listenership here, Mac. and what it kind of looked like to start streaming in the first place and why D2? Uh,
1: Yeah, sure. So I'll start off, you know, why start streaming? Uh, Well, everybody who makes this mistake starting off, you just decide you're going to do it one day and then you realize uh, just how much time and effort really goes into that. And trying to do it in a more casual sense didn't really work in my schedule. And I said, you know, I have a great opportunity here. Why not try to go full time? Why D2? Well, why not D2 is really the question I'd ask you. It's just, it's a game that I've been playing my entire life, you know, if you want to get like a quick little history of it, I started playing a single player holy grail, basically going through and collecting all the, I imagine you know that. And I just started doing it to kill some time after work and all of that. And then I realized, hey, you know, I love Diablo 2. I've been playing it more casually. What does like high level competitive speedrunning look like? And I checked out some speedruns from some great streamers and I went, I could try that. I'm not going to do well, <laughs> but I could try that. And I sat down, I got live split running. I ran a two hour, 44 minute Sorceress, I think at the time, which put me somewhere around like 44th on the speedrun board and I was like that's not that bad I could have done that's pretty good
0: man that. like first try 244 I think my first try on the sorceress was like three hours 30 so that's great
1: well if it makes you feel any better that time really didn't come down altogether that fast regardless of how hard <laughs> I was trying at first oddly enough it's a tough game but more seriously I've always loved it really casually as a kid I used to think I was good at it I wasn't I was really bad at it and something about it just pulled me back in and when I started streaming you need. Need something to hold on to this idea of this is the kind of content I'm going to create. And it helps you to stay regular with the schedule. It helps you stay regular with some kind of theme. And once you do it for a year, you kind of get stuck into it. I'm definitely not begrudging my decision, but that's mostly how I fell into it. I was like, hey, I can kind of do this well. Why not give it a go?
0: Yeah, awesome. That's great. So you did mention it there. I will elaborate because I don't think I've talked too much on it on the podcast. A holy grail is where you are trying to get every single unique or set item in the game, and some people include the runes. Mm. For the listenership who hasn't quite been into Diablo 2 as much as I have been. Some of the probabilities of dropping these items is just insane Um, I've been playing this for a long time and I still have not dropped one item which is Tyrael's Might, which is probably the same for everyone out there, Uh, but yeah, huge thing, great to step across into speedrunning especially I can see the transition there and there's just some great videos out there. How did you actually come across that speedrunning scene? Because it's only really been running for the last, well since around 2015 is when I think it really got up and going.
1: Yeah, so what When I first started watching it, it was almost kind of completely irrelevant to the Diablo history portion of it. I got really into watching Super Mario Brothers speedruns. I loved watching HEDQ, Awesome Games Done Quick, and Summer Games Done Quick, a lot of fantastic content creators out there. And then at Games Done Quick is where I actually ran across Mr. Llama's Sorceress speedrun. So that's how I got into it. I actually started watching uh, his guided playthrough of how to speedrun the Sorceress. This is two or three years worth of strategies ago, but that's what I used to try to pilot it for my first time and after that point i was hooked but i would say finding them heading over to speedrun.com whereas you actually get to check out all the leaderboards that's how i started getting into contact and following the different twitch channels and discord communities of the other you know just huge speedrunners at the time who are still running right now
0: and did you get much support as you were starting out were you reaching out to existing streamers to get you know tips on the latest guides just watching them how did that look
1: yeah so one part just watching and trying to take it into account i will say probably the biggest milestone in me actually progressing both skill-wise and into the community. Uh, There is a fantastic Estonian streamer by the name of Indrik. Indrik is, for all intents and purposes, my speedrun senpai. Indrik actually got (laughs) on a Discord call with me at one point and let me do a very slow speedrun of the Sorceress, where I got to stop and ask questions every step of the way. Hey, would you make this decision? Would you worry about this itemization? At this point, would you move on? And he literally handheld me through an entire speedrun, and he's always been incredibly supportive of me. And then from him is where i I met other people. I met Teo. I met Bender, I met more people in the scene and every one of them is always had a very like open door, willing to help you, you know, give a helping hand whenever you need it type of approach. It really, it's a fantastic community to be a part of.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I've definitely mentioned all of those names in the podcast before. So I'm sure everyone who's listening right now will be totally familiar. Yeah, that's great of Indirect to spend his time like that. He commits so much to the community as well between all the speed running tools, Diablo.run, that kind of thing. So to hear that he's supporting the startups, as well. That's fantastic.
1: He has such a passion for the game and for people learning it. Honestly, I imagine if he could spend all of his time doing it, he would. He was a great help to me.
0: Awesome. And then, yeah, to continue working through the process chronologically. So when I first came across your stream, I think you were having a bit of a back and forth with Blazer Flamewing on the pacifist speedruns across different classes as well. So for everyone who isn't aware of what pacifist means, I think it's even a term going back as far as Doom speedruns, where essentially you are getting to the end of the game without actually attacking an enemy character. So it's completely pacifist, as it were. And in Diablo 2, that is particularly difficult because you have to get to level 20 to get to the end of the game which means you have to actually have enemies die around you to get experience and get past that level cap and then somehow you have to kill the final boss without actually ever striking him once so it's a real achievement to get to that and some of the times in this pacifist category is just crazy like i think the world record now is what around two hours 15 minutes something like that yeah which is faster than I can run the game, actually hurting people. (laughs) Um, that's, That's ridiculously technically proficient. What interested you in that category?
1: So the pacifist, yeah. And if I could give just a little bit more, because they're very common questions that I get. The long and short of it is there are a couple of different things in the game that say if you were to be attacked, the monster takes damage as well. This is Thorns or in a lot of different places, Dark Souls, you have the armor that allows you to roll and deal damage. So it's pretty common throughout a lot of different games. And that's what we abuse for this category. It is a lot of getting hit by monsters and managing to not die while it happens. What really interested me was the fact that you could do it at all. So again, coming from a background of playing this game a lot, I didn't even know you could do that. And then on top of that, I didn't even know you got experience. I didn't know you could level up off of it. I didn't know that there was any real way to make it happen. And when I first started seeing Blazer Flamewing, Blazer Flamewing basically pioneered the entirety of that category after the original creator of it kind of did his proof of concept he said hey this can happen here's how I did it see what you can do and Blazer Flamewing kind of stepped in and really put a science to it and if there's one thing that I love about Diablo 2 it is the incredible amount of detail and minutiae that you can get into if you're willing to spend the time to do it Uh, that's just what comes along with a game that needed to be coded 20 years ago and actually function and I saw that it could be done I gave it a shot super high RNG, you're going to bust a hundred runs before you even have a chance of actually making it happen. And that type of challenge was just something that enticed me so much. In addition to that, it's niche. I'm a pretty off meta player I would say. I don't necessarily like to do things just because they are either the most you know well-known version of something or the most typically used. Not to be a hipster about it, but it, it just <laughs> it interests me more to try something that not a lot of people are doing. And there was a world record I could get. So if I could try to get a foothold somewhere, that would be nice when you're first starting off speed running it's great seeing your own times go down, you know, seeing my Sorcerer's Time go down a couple minutes here and there. But if there's a world record that you can get, there's a certain amount of just extra motivation that fills you when you're trying to push for something like that. And that's what drew me most to the pacifist category.
0: Yeah, awesome. I think there's still a few open slots for some of the more random runs out there on uh, the world record speedruns. I think that'll revolutionize a bit as Resurrected comes out, but that's really interesting. And I'm just going to make the claim here that I would love to see a pacifist run at GDQ. I think GDQ is such a great entry point for anyone looking to get into like following speed runs, regardless of whether it's Diablo, whether it's Chrono Trigger, whether it's Quake, even sometimes they run that, or Grand Theft Auto. There's just such a great breadth of variety there. And some of the more weird runs that they put up there is just flat out entertaining. So to get something like a pacifist run there, especially when it's only yeah a bit over two hours, I think it'd fit in the slot. And I'm hoping people are getting from this conversation that you're a really good communicator, really engaging in terms of presenting to the audience and would love to get you there as much as I love Mr. Lama SC and his presentation to the community, just to get a bit more variety up on that main stage.
1: Well, geez, I I hope your listeners can understand that. That is what I'm trying to get across. (laughs) Uh, I I will say you're not the only person who's tried to get me to petition to get a pacifist run submitted into GDQ. Like I said before, you will bust 100 runs before you can even get it into there. In the most recent world record, which I do currently hold, that 2:15 timer that you're talking about is something where we just recently innovated the category all over again, reincorporated some techniques and strategies that we had basically written off as just something you can't do in pacifist and oddly enough ended up saving something like 10 minutes when we did it so i'm trying to make it reasonable enough rng outcomes where i could realistically sit down at gdq and say hey i'm gonna do this and then on top of that a pacifist run you can't hit anything that's the whole point of pacifist if i were on the gdq stage And I accidentally messed up (laughs) and ended up punching a goblin in the face on (laughs) huge television. Ooh, boy. I don't know how I would talk my way out of that one. But it's been knocking around my head trying to get something like that submitted. It's been taking a little bit of a back burner just because my attentions have moved a little bit from speedrunning more into general content creation. Like you were saying, a lot more guides, a lot more educational pieces and trying to get more into the modded community. But I would love to bring it to the GDQ stage. Absolutely. Maybe if I can get that time down consistently, I'll go ahead and submit for you.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. I think that's a great transition point to talk around what you've been doing with the channel more recently how you've been thinking in your own mind about really building up your brand and diversifying your output from speedruns to more general content and yeah just talk through your process in terms of what you've been trying to target in that aspect of streaming
1: yeah absolutely thank you so let me part the veil a little bit here if you want to be successful as a streamer in the diablo 2 community and you're being a speedrunner and that is your mode of content generation oddly enough you have to be the best speedrunner for that to really draw in enough of a crowd to have that community support if you go look at the top speedrunners they will have a good community of people around them and when i was predominantly doing speedrunning i was averaging around 30 viewers which is not bad it actually puts you in the top one percent which is a crazy place But that wasn't really a mode within which I could better stabilize myself financially off of being a content creator. And that's when I realized that I've put countless hours into understanding all these little minute details about the game that I had to go research. Because there are no good sources for this information. You're following 20-year-old threads on old Diablo wiki forums. You're finding dead-ed links to German sites that had tools that don't exist anymore. You're finding people trying to pull resources onto Reddit and trying to compile stuff. And I realized well, I have done all this work. I do know all this stuff. What can I do with that? Right around that same time is when Project Diablo 2, which is a great mod of Diablo 2, I imagine that you've spoken about it before. Definitely, um, yep. But a, a development team with the talking head of Senpai Something have put together this amazing mod and that was a great space to fill into and to set up a presence as an educator and as a resource and as a go-to for the information that's available in Diablo 2 for people who have now reinvested their energy into playing the game again. So I I've been putting a lot of time and effort, not only into collaborating with other great people, you know, in season one, we did the level 99 grind. I know that you've talked about Kano before. He was you know, first level 99 in season one. I was the paladin in that team. And from that point forward, the content that I was aiming to put out was, if you're coming and watching my stuff, or if you're going to be on my stream, you're going to learn something. If you're going to learn something, you're going to take that away and offer that to other people. Hey, I know of this resource. You should check out this YouTube video. So it was kind of this perfect calamity of the opportunity to be playing a new game, actually Using this knowledge that I've created and bringing some of that efficiency and that speedrun mentality to more casual players who may not know the huge list of things that can make your gameplay slightly easier and save you hours a day if you're going to be casually playing the game. So that's where I've really moved my attention to. And then in that, helping to foster a better community and better relationships with other streamers in the same space. Um, So another great streamer by the name of BT Neanderthal also moved into the Project Diablo space. He's been a name in the Diablo 2 community forever. If you're trying to learn how to swap cast, he's one of the first YouTube videos that you'll find from you know three four years ago. And he and I have been working hand in hand, both on projects and initiatives, doing things with our communities and bringing this hopefully higher scale and informative content out to the community. And that's where I've been you know pumping on all cylinders for the past about six months. I'd say that's when I really transitioned into this mode.
0: So with that transition, what were the like key things you were prioritizing there in terms of were you coming up with the content to create? Were you thinking about the different channels to get that content out on? Was it just around becoming a bit more professional in what your sort of personal brand looked like? How did that go?
1: So at first, what it really came down to was realizing that I was missing out on the key market, which is YouTube. The issue with Twitch is that you cannot be discovered on Twitch. That's just not a mode of operation that Twitch actually works inside of. You can be relevant on Twitch but people can't necessarily find you. There's no real avenue for them to do that. Everybody goes on YouTube. Every single person on the planet, if they have access to YouTube, they have it on their phone, they have it on their computer, they have it on their tablet. They're going to be watching something on YouTube. So targeting a market there and making content that is actually viable for YouTube will actually get itself into its algorithm means that that will eventually transition to traffic on Twitch for me. Now, how do you actually get people's attention on YouTube? Well, you can't just put up random three hour uncut videos of your speed runs. That's not an option. So you have to be making things that people are going to click and are going to get recommended to you. So what does that mean? Well, it means you need to learn how to make a thumbnail. It means you need to have a brand logo. It means you need to take some of the things that you've developed inside of your community, these weird little nicknames that you get and these weird little things that people pick up on. You mentioned the gloves. I just happen to be anemic, so my hands get cold very easily. (laughs) But if you're ever wearing fingerless gloves because you're trying to speedrun and they're bright red people are going to notice that i get 100 questions a day about my little red gloves so when i started looking at what does my brand need to look like how do i encapsulate both who i am and be shiny and enticing so you get your artist friend who's absolutely wonderfully talented and you go hey I need a kind of cocky looking dude wearing some gloves that has a cute little, uh, you know, Pokemon style mask in front of their face because Pokemon is always hot and I need it to look good. So you have the logo get made. You kind of lean into what your brand looks like. And one of the things that's most important for me inside of all of this is this sense of authenticity. I can't deal with fakeness. I really can't. I don't have a lot of patience for it. So it was really important to me that even though I'm trying to make things that are digestible in a YouTube format format and will actually get clicks the stuff that they're getting is the best information that I can give them to the best of my ability. So if you come and watch one of those videos, I care about the thing that I'm talking about, and I want that to come through. And if that means I got to record more, and I need to spend more time on the videos, and I can't pump out content as fast as some other people can, that's going to be part of my brand identity as well. And once I started actually caring about YouTube and learning about how you can become successful there is when the overall quality and content, I believe, really kind of kicked it up notch. Much. One begot the other. There was no way for my Twitch to not have to ramp up in quality as well. And my general stream, you know, my stream schedule had to be more rigorous. The type of content that I'd be putting out had to be more thematic and more on brand. And that means that the YouTube content's going to be better. If the YouTube content's better, people are going to be expecting something better, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. The pendulum swings back and forth. And yeah. I wish I was doing YouTube much more seriously, much earlier. I think that's what everybody says. It's, ah, oh, geez, I should have gone on that earlier. I should have done this earlier. But I I will say I have a lot more work to do now, but you know, don't have a lot else going on right now other than (laughs) I'm streaming. You know, I can't really go out and uh, hit the pub or anything like that. So it's kind of been this perfect time to be willing to invest this much in it, to get that on its feet and have it be more self-sustaining.
0: Yeah, that's great. Those are some great insights as to how to build up. I think one of the things we've talked about previously on the podcast, and this has been more focused on journalism and blogging in recent uh, episodes, has been that challenge of discovery. And Chris mentioned in one podcast around the mechanism Twitch has for raids and kind of referrals at the end of people's streams. And I've kind of been a bit skeptical on that. I think a lot of the work in terms of brand, personal brand and search engine optimization, that kind of thing is really important. And exactly what you're talking to there around YouTube as a mechanism for discovery is super important. I think some of the things that you put out there, I'd be curious on how you get feedback from your audience base and how you feed that into you know what you're going to do next. Or even, you know, what highlights or what themes that you've been catching in Twitch chat, for example, to translate into a video for YouTube? How does that kind of look in your mind?
1: Yeah. So one of the challenges that you face is getting that legitimate and valuable feedback. So I don't know if you've ever seen a YouTube comment. I don't recommend ever seeing a YouTube comment. I don't recommend going and reading them at any case, but that's not necessarily a great way of getting legitimate feedback. You know, it's not necessarily a survey. One of the things that YouTube will do is that you do have a community page once you are actually Partnered, which lets you more directly create polls and set out questions for your community to see. Again, not necessarily the best. I would say that the polls are actually fairly useful as long as you're using them in an intelligent way. One of the major things that I have is that close to one on one interaction with Twitch chat. So the Twitch chat community becomes very much an extension of like your total ability to be successful. These people are the people who care about you, they care about the content that you're making, and they also want to see content. And now that they're comfortable with you And they've built up a rapport, they're willing to tell you, hey, are you going to do this? Hey, I heard this was coming out. Are you going to check out that? So if enough people are asking similar questions, that helps to guide what you're going to produce a little bit. And then there is understanding your market. So the Diablo 2 market of people who want to digest Diablo 2 content are nitpicky they'll they'll tear you apart if you're wrong that's what it comes down to if you're wrong they'll show you the math because they've also been playing this game for 20 years they've been doing the same thing if you think you play it a lot they probably play it twice as much so If people are asking questions, how do I do this? How do I do that? That speaks to a need. That speaks to something that should be created that is desirable. So that's one bit of feedback. And then you have your Discord. You have a Discord, which is typically a much smaller subsect of your community who are more invested in being a part of what you're doing. And those people are even more comfortable with telling you, hey, I'm looking for this kind of thing. Can you help me with this? Are you interested in putting out a guide like that? So with my brand, my brand's trying to be that kind of Diablo 2 professor. If there's something and I don't know it, in five minutes I will research and I will get that information for you. So people know that they can come to me, hey, I want to build this type of character. Why do XYZ things work but ABC things don't work? That's a video a new mod is coming out. It looks like they're going to have a competitive scene. Are you going to play that? That's a video. Um, even if it's just checking it out and giving your feedback so that the layman or the more casual player can get an understanding of what they would be diving into, that's a video. So Literally, people asking questions in chat is probably the most valuable feedback that I get from the community and the best kind of arrow pointing me in the direction of something that the community is looking for. And If they're looking for it here, they're willing to go click a video somewhere else. Uh, that's something that I've really had to dial in on is this idea of if somebody's asking a question there's a need and that need needs to be fulfilled so uh, as long as you just take questions and turn those directly into videos it's a a one-to-one equation
0: and i will just say for the audience right now I, i wouldn't put macro as the uh as the most serious professor he's a quite fun professor if you look at youtube and like a couple of the videos on the latest season of project diablo 2 like the little meme you've got going of Barisa goes burr. Like (laughs) that's just simple, fun stuff, right? So there can be fun lectures where you still learn either way. I think, yeah, I'd encourage everyone to check out the videos on YouTube, that's for sure. Oh, jeez, thank you.
1: I appreciate that. To speak to that a little bit, um, right now, there is a very large influx of content creators, especially in the Project Diablo 2 space. Um, there's a lot of great people. I mean, I would recommend all of them. If I could shout them out, it'd be Frankie Fresh, Pool Noodle X. And they are bringing an energy to Diablo 2 content that I legitimately don't believe people have ever really brought to it. If I could give you a five-second little intro to every YouTube video that you've seen over the past five years for Diablo 2. Hey guys, welcome to another video where I do XYZ thing. I want to make sure that you understand how to do this so you can walk into the next season. Let's check it out. And that's that's 95% of the videos that are coming out. Uh, The guys that I just mentioned, it's just like Diablo 2 meme central. So they are putting out amazingly good content that are legitimate guides and all that. But they're just funny. They're funny and they're doing slapstick comedy and they're being ridiculous with it. And they're incorporating contemporary memes. You know, they're bringing some of that that TikTok energy into it. That's I've never seen it before. I, I legitimately haven't. And I've recently started working with them. And I'm like, I need to try out some of this energy because I can keep making the, you know, very straight to the point, very mathematic, going over heavy equations, bringing that deep level of energy or a deep level of attention to detail. And I think in my most recent videos, I've really been trying to explore more entertainment value as well as learning, just to see what it's like, see if it hits with the community. Uh, some people like it, some people haven't liked it, but I'm also trying to ride that energy too. It's uh, it's definitely been interesting.
0: Yeah, I think a few of the comments in those YouTube videos speak exactly to the previous points you've made about not really high quality feedback, but definitely focused on the attention to detail that Diablo Mm. 2 has.
1: Mm. (laughs) Um, For sure. For sure.
0: Great. So in terms of, you know, continuing to build your brand and how that's working out in streaming and the ongoing developments in the Diablo 2 space that I never would have seen coming, give us a bit of an overview on the progressions of what's happened with joining maxroll.gg
1: yeah so maxwell gg for people who are outside of the diablo space um, maxwell gt is this amazing resource for diablo 3 really right now it's covering diablo 3 it has a team being set up for diablo immortal as well which is the handheld version you might have heard about blizzard messing up real bad and announcing a handheld diablo 4 game-esque thing on the blizzcon stage but they have the best content creators the highest level the like the highest rank reaching highest level players of diablo 3 every single season, putting out guides on everything Diablo 3. Now, with Diablo II Resurrected coming out, obviously they realized that there was a need to fill in that space. And when I was approached, it was originally uh, BT Neanderthal was approached to join the team. He gave recommendations for other people who should be involved. So if I could just very quickly list them off, it's myself, BT Neanderthal, Teo1904, who's basically the grandfather of speedrunning Diablo II alongside Nightfall, Indrik, and then eventually Lama, Ryu, etc. Uh, then you have Dobronsky. Dobronsky, he's put out every single human bot program video on how to farm everything a million times he's a great guy you have dark humility dark humility who's a a fantastic grail streamer and then you have cooley who's kind of the first name in pvp for diablo 2 they put together this team and basically tasked us with creating the same level of content and resources that are currently available for diablo 3 but for diablo 2 again this idea that if you want to search how does this skill work for diablo 2 it may take you two hours to actually find the resources that you would need to actually understand it and we're looking to alleviate all those Pain points. So, I got brought on as a content lead. Basically, what that means is uh working with Teo, he and I are going to be overseeing the total project of creating all of the content that we'll need for this, as well as contributing content itself. So, build guides, resource guides, uh, how to videos, everything that you would need for any major video game that's coming out. You know, you need to know how to do a quest, you come to Maxwell GG. You need to know how to build a character, you come to Maxwell GG. Uh, what that means is this association already opens up some doors, right? So we join with Maxwell GG, the alpha tech for Diablo II Resurrected comes out. We're there with early access so that we can already start digging into what's available for the game, get that feedback, try to break stuff, try to work our way through things, try to educate people and start to set up that understanding that if you're looking for Diablo II information, if you're looking to get back into the game, if you're looking to try it out for the first time, you're, you're going to come through Maxwell GG to get that information and we'll have it available for you. You know, the, the motto is leave no question on Answered. So, on top of my own content, where I'm already trying to do those types of build guides, I'm already trying to do that kind of educational piece or, hey, here's the silly thing that I found out you can do type videos. We're going to be making that type of content in tandem, basically at the same time and just head over heels for the opportunity. You know, i if I could share a quick little story from my childhood, um, way back when I was nine, 10 years old playing Diablo 2, I got scammed out of all of my items. So, somebody said they were going to give me a Stone of Jordan. They go to trade with me, they show it in the trade window, they pick it up and they put it down somewhere else it's the same graphic basically you know the different items in the game can all kind of look the same until you actually read them I trade them everything. They traded me a magic ring. And uh, I was 10 years old and I cried my heart out. I, I was devastated. You know, all my, all my, and it wasn't good stuff. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was good, <laughs> but it wasn't good stuff. I ran to my dad. I was like, hey, I traded with this person. This is their account name, but they won't respond to me. What do I do? And my dad had to go and, you know, try to be like, hey, that's my kid. He's 10 years old. Could you give me back the stuff? And luckily enough, the guy came back. So the shout outs to whoever they were. Wow. I can't remember their name now. They did actually give me back my stuff. When I was talking to my dad about joining the Max Roll team, uh, you know, he, he recounted that story. He's like, Did you ever think that, you know, close to twenty years ago <laughs> when you were crying over somebody stealing your items from this video game, that you'd be brought on as as basically project manager for the, the remaster of it and covering that information and making sure there's resources, you know, making sure we have everything ready for when go live happens. And it was such a, a surreal realization, just this idea. It's like, Oh, I guess I'm here now and because I decided I'm gonna do this for this long I can actually do something with it. So yeah, joining the Maxwell team is just not only was it an amazing opportunity, but I'm, I get to work with people who you know I've known in this space for a long time. I have a really good relationship with BT and with Teo, you know, we're all good friends at this point, but just being able to work with these, with these other individuals and make something that's theoretically going to be here for another 20 years is a, basically a dream come true. If I could, if I could, you know, cover it in sugar and, and put a rainbow on it. Oh, it's So great. Sorry. Now I'm just gushing, but <laughs>
0: (laughs) No, that's fantastic. I think the thing that stands out to me about streaming in general over the last 10 years is how many people have that story of, I cannot believe this is a career. And like, I've somehow turned this into a thing that I do in my day to
1: day life. It's it's what happens a lot. You know, I have, I have an entire family of people who have no idea what I do. They have no concept of what I do. They know I play a video game and I compete. So they think I do competitions and stuff, which I have done. You know, I've, I've ran in races. You know, I've, I've made competition money from it, but they have no idea what I do. At least contemporaries in the same space, they, they have an idea of what I'm doing. But I think that's what contributes so much to not understanding that this could even be an option is because there really is no walkway that you can follow that gets you here. You just kind of have to ham fist it until it works and then realize that you're going to be your own manager and your own designer and your own yeah. editor in your, <laughs> own, your, your own time book where you have to keep all your meetings and all that stuff. It's, uh, it's a pretty wild transition. I think that's why it catches people off guard so, so profoundly.
0: Yeah, I think uh, any entrepreneurial person would know the challenges of being your own boss. It sounds great until you actually are doing it and you realize how much there is to being a boss. Um, yeah, that's great. So you brought up the remaster there. That was one piece of news that caught me off guard and actually turned this what was supposed to be quite a silly segment in our weekly podcast into something that actually had real relevance. So what are your thoughts on the remaster so far? You've been playing the alpha for a few days and even just looking forward to how that how you think that's going to play out.
1: Uh, literally perfect. Go pre-order it right now. You you don't want to be waiting in line. Uh, and I promise you, I'm not. You know, Blizzard hasn't come at me and said, "Hey, you're doing a podcast. Go be a corporate shell." It's <laughs> oh my god. It, it's it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's amazing what they've managed to do. So for people who don't know, Diablo 2 is a 2D game that's based off of sprites. It's actually based off of a turn-based strategy style, is what they originally wanted for the game, and then they actually made it real-time. But everything still kind of moves in a turn-based way. They've taken this thing that runs off of 25 frames per second, and you could run this thing on a TI-84 Plus Silver Edition calculator. And they've brought it into the new age of graphics. Technology that the gameplay is impressive. They've taken every single model, re-realized everything in a 3D model. They've gone in and looked at the original concept art and found all these little details that really didn't come through in the old, much lower-scale graphics settings, and brought them all to life. You know, For people who actually know, there's this infamous part of the interview from BlizzCon where they realized that there's garlic hanging in the, in the back of a tavern somewhere. And if you go look at it, the original game, it's just this little black speck on the wall. And now it's like a whole strand of cloves of garlic. And it is amazing I recently put out a video where I actually go through and I look at every single monster model in the original graphics and in the new graphics and do side-by-side comparisons to them. I didn't realize how many things they managed to fit into those little 2D sprites, but every zombie is wearing different amounts of armor and has different amounts of decay on it, which you can now see and appreciate, even going back to the original graphics. But the game feels amazing. They've stuck to all of their promises. They brought quality of life changes, so there's a couple things that now just are more modern. They're not really things that the, I believe the game developers really meant to add challenge to the game. They were just limitations at the time, which are now more modernized. You have a bit more pliability in your interface and how you deal with your inventory. Um, they've brought a little bit of that being able to transfer things between your characters without having to drop them into a game. But every skill feels like what it should. Every hit, every attack on a monster like has such a density and such a viscerality to it. it I, I'm head over heels for it. I've, I've pumped in countless hours over this past weekend i'm going to be playing again tomorrow and even in just this early tech alpha where we're only able to play the first two acts with three characters i'm already sold if they do nothing other than just fill in the blanks with new models for everything else moving forward this game would be worth a full 60 dollar release and they're not even charging a 60 dollars, so I'm, I'm legitimately head over heels
0: amazing that's great to hear
1: I would honestly love to take a stab at some of the things that you would normally be talking about as a complete layman. I don't know if there's like I don't know if there's a recent I don't know if there's a recent conversation where you could kinda treat me as, you know, a sixth grader and I could try my best at impressing you with being able to discuss it. Because uh, I, I do want to give your listeners at least a little bit of that a little bit of that home feeling so they can kinda latch onto something.
0: We often like to have a section where we make a bet with the stakes of we buy each other a coffee and it's just a bet on like a random thing, random event happening in the world. So we bet on like, I think the last week's episode was betting on whether there will be a higher birth rate in America than Australia in the next 15 years, which is just quite technical.
1: I love it. That's great. <laughs> also, I don't know. Do you have uh, Dunkin' Donuts there in Australia? We That's do, That's yeah. like our coffee place here. So maybe, maybe I can share a quick little story. I'm So I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. You can't hear it right now because I've learned to both have my actual accent and then my I-need-to-talk-good-on-the-internet accent. Uh, but if I, were to, if I were to dump into my accent, actually, uh, I'm from Rivera. It's a city. It's about 10 minutes north of Boston. Uh, we drink Dunkin' Donuts every day, kid. I don't know if you've ever been down to Rivera. Fair Beach, but there you can get yourself some Kelly's. You got the best roast beef in the entire city, and uh, this is what I would have sounded like if I stayed in my hometown. Uh, it's a little bit thicker than your typical accent, just because it's from the North Shore of Boston. Uh, whereas if you go South Shore, you get a bit more of that, you know, the stuff that you hear Matt Damon talking like in The Departed and uh, all those movies. But if it's Dunk's Coffee, I come from a city where we actually have seven Dunkin' Donuts in our city with two of them across the street from each other you can literally uh so roundabouts or we call them rotaries so you can hit a dunks get onto the rotary go for your last exit off of the rotary and hit a dunks so you can get it going to the airport and coming from the airport that's we are fiends for dunkin donuts
0: (laughs) i will say like when i was in america like I drink a good amount of coffee generally, just being a standard corporate peon. (laughs) When I went to America and I was drinking some of the coffee over there, it was the first time I ever actually got the jitters from coffee. So you guys have it strong,
1: man. Yeah, we, we do not mess around. So I personally cannot digest coffee. Uh, my body is not meant to handle the raw strength that is a Dunkin' <laughs> Donuts coffee. I'm, I'm more of a green tea and water type of guy. Uh, I gave up soda as a very young kid because I misunderstood uh, a religious ritual that we have, where you have to give up something. I thought you had to give it up for the rest of your life. Uh, nobody told me. I was eight years old, so I just stopped <laughs> drinking soda. And then from there out, it's just like water, fruit water, tea. And I've ruined my ability to drink caffeinated soda or caffeinated coffee. Uh, It absolutely destroys me.
0: Well, that's just so incredibly responsible of you. Well done on uh, having that restraint.
1: Uh, On the days where I have, you know, my former career, it was 80 hour weeks on call the entire time. So when I did have to wake up and I would drink coffee, it would get me going for about an hour before I would just cry crash into the ground so i had to wake up in time to offset the coffee crash because i'm so unused to drinking it but I've, I've definitely had my little dance with the uh with the dark roast devil before so oh there we go now riddle me now riddle me this you know you look just like mr llama sc right nah oh yeah Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. If you were to if you were to turn around cause I imagine you've watched his streams, right? If you were yeah. to turn around and flip that painting over to the to the infamous flower painting, I would not be surprised <laughs> if this was actually some kind of weird incognito.
0: But, no, I've heard Mr. Lama SC try to put on an Australian accent. I don't think he can
1: pull it off. Oh no, 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 no. He should he should stick to vaguely white guy that lives in Texas. That's what he should stick to as far as accents.
0: I'll tell you what, like American accents, the variability you guys have i I predominantly like my boss is american i report through to america Mm -hmm. um he's from chicago but like we also have someone from alabama i listen to llama and i listen to yourself and just the variability across the different states compared Mm -hmm. to australia where it's like you might get a little bit more broad when you get up to queensland and it's like yeah man actually that's terrible um (laughs) i I would have accepted it so (laughs) it speaks to the cultural diversity that you have over there and it's really interesting
1: it's a uh, it's it's pretty hard so uh, another one of the reasons why like i you know i made the joke i wanted to sound good on the internet the boston accent itself which is arguably one of the most iconic accents it's one of the hardest ones for people to replicate as far as actors actresses etc um, it's actually received as somebody is less intelligent if you hear it without context. It has a kind of cadence to it and a sharpness to it. It cuts out half of the letters. Um, I always make the joke that I can't roll my R's in Spanish and Italian even though I can speak those languages to some degree because I come from a city where we don't say our R's. <laughs> and that's, that's how we pronounce ah. That's R right there. Ah, yep. Revea, oddly enough, has R's in it at some points. But uh, yeah, being able to have a more digestible accent that works in a broader sense is something it's probably like one of the best things I spent some time working on just to just to get over the hump of people having predispositions based off what you sound like. I actually I have a channel point redemption which is redeem the darkness uh, and when you redeem the darkness all that you get out of it is I say thank you for redeeming the darkness. The darkness has been redeemed uh, just so that people can hear the fact that I did have an accent. I'm not just like I didn't just fall out of a test tube uh, <laughs> just sounding like this. I do have a legitimate accent that comes out typically when I'm more excited or inebriated yeah it's it's the best part because here in america we think everybody else is the weird aliens that make no sense when america is just the least sensible collection of how are you all one nation but have 700 different cultures in it uh and you know it's it's kind of that back and forth that two-way mirror where it's just like oh that guy has an accent that's hilarious it's like have you heard yourself talk because (laughs) oh geez i don't know where you think you're from but
0: I think yeah, yeah. a few of my UK friends might have some opinions on the variation of accents in very tight uh, geographies but no that's super interesting this is a like super random question for you mm-hmm. just cuz I have a 5 year old son yes sir with that pronunciation of the r sound as r yeah, do kids pick up on that easier? Because like my son, trying to teach him to make the R sound instead of the W sound is just—it's
1: an yeah, experience. Yeah. So I, I would—I guess I can really only speak to my own experience as a baby, or at least people telling me as a baby. So I do think that I, at the very least, had started speaking pretty early on, and I will say that the the we soften so many things because we, for all intents and purposes, put letters together. Darkness becomes darkness. So you still have a bit of that hard consonant, but it's just a bit of a click of the tongue. So I would say that people can pick up on speaking inside of the accent a bit easier. And there's also a lot more wiggle room for whether or not you're pronouncing something properly. Like you can get away with a 40% quality word because at least you're hitting like the beginning and end hard consonant sounds and the middle kind of doesn't matter. Um, and and, and maybe that is a bit of an advantage, at least getting your foot in the door of speaking English in this region. But yeah, darkness, it, It's there's a couple other parts to it, too. My, my personal favorite is that we actually add an R to the end of the word idea. So it's idea. I have an yep. idea. And we take it away from everything else, but we add it there. I'm not exactly sure where that comes from, but I definitely think that kids can pick it up easier. And kids with the accent, once they actually have the accent, one of the funniest things on the internet to me is listening to like uh, little kids from Dublin. Uh, any kid from Ireland trying to talk to their mom and convince them that they should be able to do something is actual <laughs> comedy gold to me. And I imagine I can imagine you could do the same thing with uh, kids from the greater Boston area, just talking about basic stuff. Uh, WADA. like You want a yep. glass of WADA? That one's really good too it's i i'm i'm even in love with the accent because i think it sounds both hilarious and the history of it is just so fascinating um i'm, I'm not just a nerd about diablo 2 i'm a nerd about anything that could be vaguely interesting to know about so like the history of the boston accent is something that i've spent a lot of time looking into uh it's, it's pretty buck wild, but yeah <laughs>
0: that's great that's great Actually here's a question I never got to ask. Macro BioBoy. I'm guessing macro because Marco and Macro are pretty similar. But what's the what's the background behind the name?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh Macro BioBoy, so where does Macro BioBoy come from? Well, one part is I'm an aspiring rap artist. Uh <laughs> so I, I, I casually write uh, rap lyrics and, and hip hop songs in my spare time when I actually have a notepad near me and macrobio was basically going to be my stage name or my performer name so we touched on it I have a degree in microbiology I studied uh, UMass Amherst and I got my bachelor's so the idea of macrobio versus microbio as opposed to microscopic life this is larger than life which is a pretty self-effacing name but you kind of got to be self-effacing in uh in the the rap hip hop culture and then obviously macro being an anagram for Marco which is my real name which is also a gamer slang term being able to have a macro keyboard and having macro buttons so you have macro bio and the macro bio kind of wasn't enough and also it was already taken on Twitch so <laughs> it was already taken on Twitch it was already taken on Instagram and on Twitter and Uh, One part of my gender identity is I'm I'm gender fluid. So boy is very traditionally utilized um, in the non-binary space to indicate the idea of of masculine or male, but not necessarily saying that is a boy with a Y. So B-O-I is also, you know, a mix up of bio. So you have macro, bio, boy kind of rolls off the tongue, hits a couple more syllables, gets that interplay of my name, Marco and macro and then bio and boy. And then it just helps to go into, you know, identify as as non-binary on my Twitch channel. And I try to make a safe space for people who are exploring that themselves or trying to identify themselves. So you put it all together, you get MBB. It, it, it kind of it kind of worked together. Again, it was clandestine. It was already taken, so I had to come up with something.
0: <laughs> I personally like the role of MBB. That's great.
1: And then once I had the name, obviously Mac. Uh, Mac is already kind of a nickname that I had. It's you know my initials. So uh, Mac already worked. Macro already worked. I'm typically misspelling it anyways. Uh, I recently <laughs> I recently sent out a, a notification. That, you know a very important notification but i put my name as macro because i've been typing macro for so long i can't remember the last time i wrote my actual name on something so it it, it kind of kind of all fell into place Uh, I also go by uh, daddy apples, but that's a whole other story. Thank (laughs) thank you. Thank you, Twitch chat for that one. I really appreciate it. That's why one of my emotes is a little dabbing apple, because I had to find some way to incorporate the ridiculousness of Twitch chat giving you nicknames. But I I figure we'll keep that story for the next time I have a guest spot here.
0: Fantastic. That is great. Oh, man, I love Twitch chat for emotes. So, Chris, you are completely wrong about Macro's name, all right? It's not a StarCraft reference. There you go. There's the full background. I was right. You were wrong. Yeah.
1: Sorry, Chris. I didn't know that you had money routing on this. Star- oh, star- I should have made a, star- a coffee bed of it. Missed opportunities. A StarCraft. So, to Chris's, to Chris's credit, I get asked all the time if my name is a reference to StarCraft. I think there was either a professional StarCraft player or something like that who had a similar name, or maybe it was macroing in StarCraft. I get that question all the time. So, they, they weren't completely off the mark
0: <laughs> oh good man oh good I used to work with marketing a lot and Twitch was one of the like up and coming platforms that they posited. And I'm like, I probably know more about Twitch than all of these marketers just because I actually engage with the product.
1: That's how you make that lateral move, right? You're like, ah, you know what? Maybe I'm done with accounting. Maybe I'm going (laughs) to, maybe I'm going to bring in the real money.